you are stronger. You are stronger. And sin is broken. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that God is stronger and that sin is broken? Praise God. Praise God. This morning, uh, it's, we had our first service this morning, and it was, it was, it was really good. Um, and I don't often get to see the 11 o'clock crowd. Uh, I usually come to the 9 o'clock and teach at 11, so hi. It's good to see you. You guys all look really good. I have a friend today. We're going to talk about this. Um, but over the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through an apologetic series titled, What You Think Matters, A Gospel-Centered Worldview. And over the last six weeks, Pastor Rick has taught the truth and equipped the saints in areas such as a Christian worldview, your view of the world matters, the glory of God. Then we tackled the Bible, part one and two. Then we looked at Christianity is unique among religions. And then last week, we were looking at the meaning of life. Does life have meaning without God? And if you're new to Calvary or visiting, you can check out all of our sermons online. And if you have a smartphone, download our app. There's a lot of cool features on that as well. This morning, we're going to take a break from our current series, and we're going to look at, um, well, the last, our series is titled, What You Think Matters. Today's sermon is called, How You Live Matters, The Surprising Offense of the Church. And I hope to accomplish three things this morning. First, we're going to look at the great exchange. What is that? The second thing is the great offense, how we offend the great exchange. And third thing, how we resolve the great hope, our love in the great hope. So let's pray together, and I hope to, uh, well, let's pray together and we'll get to work. Father God, we love you. You are stronger. You are stronger, and sin is broken. And Father, this morning we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would come and instruct us, that you would hold back and or remove any distraction that would hinder us from hearing you and your word. Father, I pray our lives would be a reflection of your glory. Search our hearts this morning, God. And by your word, I pray that you would correct us, that you would instruct us, rebuke, and train us in righteousness for your namesake and for your glory. In power, I pray that you use these words this morning to bring glory to your name, for I'm a sinful man in need of your grace. And I pray you would help me this morning to speak in spirit and truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. So I have a quote this morning we're going to throw up on the screen. You might have seen it before. It says, at the, um, this is called, preach the, uh, it says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And it's a tribute to Francis of Assisi. And I brought this up this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about it. But I have to really confess something to you. I really dislike this quote. I, I really don't like it. I believe it's a cop-out. I believe people use it um, so that they don't have to share the gospel. And I believe by faith that faith comes by hearing. We find this in Romans 10, 17. That means we, we need to speak the gospel. We need to share the gospel with our words. We need to go to our coworkers and our neighbors and our family members and our kids, and we need to tell them the gospel. We must share the truth with our words that by our sin, we are separated from God. There is no hope for us apart from the love and grace of Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Rick was instructing us, um, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is. He's the only way that we can have real life. Covered that a few weeks. God's only, uh, weeks ago, God's only son came on a rescue mission to die in our place. And we were, while we were still sinners, he died for us so that we could live. See, this is the gospel. We must share it. We must preach it. We must use our words. Paul charged Timothy to preach the word. He said, be prepared, Timothy, in season and out of season. He said, use the word to correct and use it to rebuke. He said, use the word to encourage 
and, but do this with great patience and do it with careful instruction. We see this in 2 Timothy 4.2. See, here at Calvary Baptist Church, we believe in the gospel. We believe by, that we stand at this pulpit and we preach. We preach the full word. Last year, in 2014, Pastor Rick brought in a special speaker with the Global Board. We had a missions conference. We were preaching the word. We're trying to stoke the church to get fired up. I remember the speaker came down and he threw the towel down and we came down and we gathered around it. We need, to serve our, we need to serve our community. We need to go to our neighbors. We need to preach the gospel. But on the other hand, when I look at this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, I believe the gospel in its very nature, when we can grasp it and get a hold of it and, and it rocks us right to our core, it changes us. The gospel should preach transformation in our life. When people look at us, they should see that we are transformed, not by money, not by the church that we go to, not by the family we grew up in, but that our lives have been transformed by the gospel. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words by the way that we live our lives. See, the knowledge of the cross should translate into how we live and how we live. See, head knowledge is not enough. It must go deeper. It must reach the heart. And when people look at us, we should project the glory of the Lord. See, the, we have an image on the screen. See, the, the projector is projecting the image. The projector didn't create the image. The projector is hooked to a computer. But when the projector does its job, its only job it was created for, this is what we see. We get the knowledge. We get, we get, we get to see what it's displaying. Our lives should reflect and do the same thing. So when people look at us, our lives reflect the glory of God. The chief end of man is to bring praise and glory to God. So when people look at us, what do they see? They see our lives transformed by the gospel. This is amazing. I love this. John Piper says that our behavior, the way we act, our parenting, the way we raise our children, the way, what we do in our jobs, even this morning, the way we were worshiping, how you serve, the things you do in life, Everything should display, I have been transformed by God. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. But how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point? Maybe you're not at that point right now when, when people look at you, they don't see transformation. They don't see the gospel being expressed. And, and maybe you're not at the point where you're sharing it with your words and your life is not displaying it. So what do we do? Well, there's an answer for that. The Bible declares it. We have to look at the cross. This morning, we're going to be looking at the cross. And at the cross, we have something called the great exchange. The great exchange is this. We find it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he says, God made him. Who's him? Jesus. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we, may, we might become the righteousness of God. Let me say that again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I have a friend here today. This is Manny, the headless mannequin. Manny comes in this morning. She's going to be working with me, and she's apart from God. She's separated. She's got a lot going on in her life. I'll fix her T-shirt. Manny, uh, Manny's got some issues. So in Manny's life, she has a whole bag of, of, of things going on. She's carrying around a lot of baggage right now. And if I was to look into Manny's life and 
and, and see inside Manny's bag, she's got a few things going on. She's got, she's got some lust going on right there. What else has Manny got going on? She's got a big bag full of stuff. There's lots of stuff in here. She's got a, she's got a, a blank piece. That's a, some secrets. Or fill in the blank. What else? Oh, not only does she have sin going on in her life, but she's carrying around abuse. She may be carrying around other people's sin, things that are going on that have happened to her. What else you got in here, Manny? Slander. So when Manny doesn't get her way or when she starts comparing herself to other people and she sees that she's falling short of the standard of other people, she begins to pull them down. She begins to say things about them. She begins, she begins to slander people. Oh, Mandy, what's going on? Oh, lying. Another comparison thing, when she doesn't get her way or when she doesn't see things that, that should be uh, in her favor, she, she will tell a lie. See, all these things are separating Manny. Manny's got some pride going on. This is a big one for her. She wants to be loved and cared for. She wants to feel important. She wants people to recognize her. So she'll do things so that uh, she feels puffed up, like she's important. Manny, is this ever going to end? No, you've got some addictions going on. Let's put that right there. Addictions going on in her life, things that she's uh, codependent on. She needs them to get through the day. She thinks she needs these things and to get through. Yeah, Manny's got some hate going on. There's hate there. Poor Mandy. She's separated from God because of the things that she's, she has going on in her life. And uh, there's no hope for her. There's no hope. But God, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Christianity is uniquely different from all the world religions because of the, the great exchange. See, God reconciled sinful man to himself by making his sinless son the sin bearer in the sinner's place. So before God, man, he can't approach. But because of Jesus, Jesus comes and he takes his, her sin upon himself. We have a, we have a, a slide I want you to see. Um, the lying, the addictions, the hate, the lust, the slander, the abuse, the pride. God, God takes them all off of her and puts it on himself because at the cross. And then, and then wraps her. In his righteousness. She's been set free. See, Jesus Christ paid the death penalty for the sinner so that God could set the sinner free and declare him righteous in his holy presence. So Manny's free now. She's free. I don't see any sins. Nothing peeking out. She's free. Because of the righteousness of Christ and what he did at the cross. See, this great exchange took place. Christ got all the sin and guilt. He got it all. And what do we get? We get his perfect righteousness. See, because of the great exchange, 
We're not just free from our guilt, free from our sin, free from the, the prideful things that are going on, free from the addictions, but we have been free and separated from the world to do something. We've been free to grow in the likeness of Christ. We've been free to grow up. I have a slide that you can see that when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to him at the cross and we, we give him our sin, we give it all, he gives us our his righteousness, and then we see this. We begin to grow. We begin to feel what he, he wants us to feel. He be, we begin to see what he wants us to see. And in our lives, we begin to understand and start to experience the Galatian discourse of the fruit of the Spirit. Because of God's grace that he has, has, has given us and his imputed righteousness, in our lives, we begin to st- understand real love and what that feels like. Not this erotica love that is so popular in our culture. Not just brotherly love, like when, when I come into the church and my office is right next door to Jordan's office and I know every time I come in the church I'm gonna get a high five and a thumbs up. Even this morning, I came in, Jordan came down off the stage, high five, thumbs up. That's brotherly love. But it goes beyond that. It be, it, when we begin to understand the, the penalty that he paid and what he did for us, we have this love that just runs deeper just changes, it begins to change us. And not just this love, but real joy, not happiness. You know, the number one place to go for happiness is the, you go to chapters in the self-help section. People are always running there for happiness. How do I get happy? Oh, just wait, I gotta go home. I gotta PVR Dr. Phil. He's gonna show me the next 10 steps or the next way, or Oprah is gonna give me the next way to be happy. Well, you'll fall short of the glory chasing them because they will lead you in the opposite direction. And we're not talking about happiness, but we're talking about joy. And not just joy, but peace. And the peace that passes all understanding. Out of the fruits, that's my favorite. There are days when I feel like I should be just freaking out because of the situations that are going on, because of the world that we live in, because of my kids who are growing up. And I should be, should be angry, should be scared, should be, should be running, even when I don't know what to do. This peace that passes all understanding guards my heart. Because if God is for us, if he's for me, he's for my kids, he's, he's, he's for us, then who can be against us? We get this peace. Not only this peace, but we get kindness. We start changing the way we, we act around people. Not only do we get kindness, but we, we begin to forgive because we begin to p- compare our way of living with, with the cross and with the king. But so often we compare our living to the left and to the right. We compare our living to that person. Well, I'm not as bad as them. But when we start looking at God and his great plan for us, we know, we see that we fall short of his glory. God becomes the standard. So we begin to forgive. God has forgiven me of so much. I know that you made a mistake. But because God has made, I have made so many mistakes and he's covered me with his grace and wrapped his imputed righteousness around me, I can forgive you. And I can truly love you. And that's a hard thing. We move from there and we, get, we, start, we start having self-control. It actually happens, the place where you begin to hate your sin. Sometimes we, we have people who come into the church and they're still working out their sin. They're still, they still like it. They still enjoy it. It's working for them. It's a part of their life. It's a part of their process. Each of us have a, a, a pattern with our sin. But there, there comes a point where a person, as they see the image of God because they've been set free because of the righteousness of God and they're moving close and they're growing up, they begin to hate their sin. It makes them sick. 
They get to a place where they don't want it around, they don't want it in their life, and, and, and they're in this constant cycle. They need Christ to break it. So self-control starts to come in. So we call this progressive sanctification. It is the process of transforming into the likeness of Christ. And our lives reflect the great truth of the gospel. Learning, by God's word, applying it, changing. Learning, applying, changing. Learning truth and doctrine, applying it to our lives, our families, our networks. We're applying what we're learning. We're applying what we're, what we're studying. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're growing and we're being transformed. The old is gone and the new has come. Hallelujah. Yeah, we declare that. We love that. And what does this look like? Well, the implication of a changed heart. So the result of a changed heart testifies to everything we know about God. He is stronger. We are forgiven. We can grow in grace. It testifies about his love and his plan of salvation. We, we, we start to know and understand that we are separated from God and we need a savior. We need Jesus in our lives. When it's deep down in our heart, we, we begin to understand our hum, humanity as, God, as created in God's image, but fallen into guilt and corruption, and about Christ's sinless life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and the imputation of his righteousness to sinners. That's what we're talking about here this morning. We begin to live life beneath his inaugurated rule through repentance and through faith, and these last ones right here, through repentance and faith, and through repentance and faith, and through repentance and faith. Repentance and faith, not just faith. We have to repent. As we compare our life with Christ, we see that we fall short of the standard. We recognize that Christ is the standard, and as we grow in wisdom and knowledge, our hearts should grow as well, changing our actions. That is called the great exchange. That is the gospel. You come in here today, you don't know the Lord, you can have this great exchange happen in your life. He will take anything that is going on in your life that is sin that separates you from God, he'll put it on his son, and he'll give you the imputed righteousness of Christ, allowing you to stand in front of God, not only being a friend of God, but also a child of God so that you can grow up in him. This is God's plan for us. This is beautiful. This is undeserving. But what happens when, <laughs> well, here lies the great offense in the church. Here's the great offense. Many are not growing up. Many are not growing up. Week after week, people come in to hear the truth and the, and the truth of Christ proclaimed. Many even uh, join a small group. Maybe they're part of a women's group or they're in our youth groups. They're part of my young adults group. In college, they come in week after week and they listen and they gather information and there it sits. And there it sits. The li their life is not changing. They're not allowing God to take them on the process of growth. See, the same habits, the same sins, the same problems, they all still exist. The same temper when someone shares a confronting truth or the same excuses arise to justify certain behaviors or traditions, they're still there. There's this disconnect between the head and the heart. See, they know what to do and what to say, but here's the hard part. 
the scary fact may be that their heart is far from God. I'm going through this series right now with our young adults. It's being taught right now downstairs. It's called When I Don't Desire God, a fight, How to Fight for Joy in the Christian Life. So when I don't desire God, when I have this no desire to run after him, how to fight for joy. And John Piper, he, writes this, he wrote this series based on this woman who came into his office and said, Pastor John, it feels like the distance from my head, which is, a, which is totally affirming with what you preach. What you say from the word of God, I'm sitting in the pew and I'm saying, amen, that's right. That's the truth. I'm nodding along. I got my hands up when we're worshiping. But the distance between my head and my heart feels like a thousand miles. He says, he states, he states that many feel this way inside the church. Many feel this way. That facts and statistics and scriptures and small group studies, they compile week after week after week. Growing in knowledge of God, get this, growing in knowledge of God doesn't equate to growing in likeness of God. Growing in knowledge of God does not equate to growing in likeness of God. And we see this with Jesus. This is not something I'm making up or something I'm standing just observing. This is not about that. This is about Jesus and what he said in the Gospels. Jesus challenges traditions and, and people who are religious. He says, and he, he, he speaks out to a group of religious leaders See, these are the ones who knew the laws. They knew the scriptures. They could quote the Old Testament. They wore these all crazy looking robes and they had the dangly things on them. And people were like, oh, that's a religious guy. Look at him. And he was, they would stand on the street corners and, oh, Lord, you're so amazing. Look what I do. Thursday night, we were talking about one of the Pharisees who were at the temple. I'm so glad I'm not like these people, declares one Pharisee. Jesus calls him out. So they knew, the, they were tithing. They were coming to church. They knew all the songs. And in Mark 7, we read this, this scripture, this, this scene. The Pharisees and some experts in, in Moses' teaching who come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Get this picture in your head. This is, this is about to go down. Like sometimes I'd like to just be like a fly on the wall and watch these things happen with Jesus. I, I hope they have replays in heaven, like on a big screen, like do you remember those guys? Oh, let's watch that. We learned about that in church. It's going down. So they came around and they're all around Jesus. And they saw that some of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were unclean because they ate without washing their hands. This is in brackets in verse 3. It says, the Pharisees, like all the other Jewish people, don't eat unless they have properly washed their hands. They follow the traditions of their ancestors. While they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they've washed first. They've been taught to follow many other rules. For example, they must wash their cups, their jars, their brass pots, and their dinner tables before. Verse 5 says, the Pharisees and the experts in Moses' teaching asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow the traditions taught by our ancestors? They are unclean because they don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus responds this way. Jesus told them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. See, their worship of me is pointless because their teaching and rules are made by humans. You abandon the commandments of God to follow human traditions, he said. 
He also added, you have no trouble rejecting the commandments of God in order to keep your own traditions. You have no problems with abandoning God's rule to just follow the ways of the world or, or what you have set up or the thing or the pattern that is ruling your life. These are the words from our Lord and Savior. He calls them out. How do I know it's not just head knowledge? My friend Sean would ask. I have the, my best friend uh, back home in St. John, big, huge guy. I know some of the young adults know this story, but my friend Sean, he looks like a bodybuilder. He's just jacked up and amazing, but he would, he would say these things. How do I know it's not head knowledge? He'd say, Nick, that verse, I can't get it out of my head. I'd be, Sean, what are you talking about, Sean? What are you talking about? What are you talking about today? He's like, Matthew 7. You know the one where Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons? Did we not do that? And in your name, did we not perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those people in that verse, they were doing things in the name of Christ but he never knew them. Look what we do. We're teaching youth. We're out on the streets, and he gives a whole list of all these things that we do. What if, it, what if it's like that? What if he says, I never knew you, Nick? What if I've been wrapped up, so wrapped up in, in serving or so wrapped up in just learning the, the Bible because that's the Christian culture and that's what we're used to that I've really never spent time with Jesus. Nick, I need to know him and I need him to know me. He would say that often. Gets me thinking, why is this verse even in the Bible? Why is it there? Is it possible that we can be so wrapped up in the culture of Christianity that we actually overlook the relationship with Christ? Even though we talk about him all the time, even though we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, even though we pray and break bread in the name of Christ, we go on mission tours in the name of Christ. Can it be that we never move beyond that? David Platt in this book, Radical Shares. I got this book from Pastor Kelvin. If you're a small group leader, you probably got one. Um, it was a small book, and it, said, it was titled Radical, and it had a box of chocolates on it. It was awesome. So I really think Pastor Kelvin knows what he's doing, giving us good, good knowledge with chocolate, and that's a good way to get me stoked about Jesus. Not that I need anything but Jesus, but I do like chocolate. So I get this book and I'm going through it, small little book. I'm like, oh, I can burn through this in a little bit. I get into it and it just blows my mind. In the book, I find this quote. It says, you and I, or you and I can choose to continue with business as usual in the Christian life and in the church as a whole, enjoying success based on standards defined by the culture around us. Or we can take an honest look at Jesus of the Bible and dare to ask, what the consequences might be if we really believed in him and really obeyed him. I had to underline that one. That one blew my mind. I had to put the book down. Sometimes when I'm reading, I have to take a walk. Sometimes I have to highlight it, put it down, go walk, pray, come back, read it again, go, get a coffee, come back. This one just ripped me. Do we choose to do business as usual? That is a question for all of us. 
See, it's so easy for pastors and deacons and leaders and men running their household and women raising their children to be so caught up in the culture, so called up, caught up in the Christian life of doing that we just check the box on the checklist. Yeah, I, I did my devotion this morning, but I didn't spend no time with Jesus. Yep, dropped my kids off Tuesday night, got them there. It's awesome. I had this one mother tell me, there are days that are so busy that I have to lock myself in the bathroom for a few minutes so that I can breathe. I can attest to that. Days get so busy, things are filling up. But we're in the culture. Don't let it be a checklist and we miss out on the glory of God. Because we get so used to the Christian life that before long we haven't even asked God what he wants for our lives. So I was thinking about that the other day. We put these plans and we do all these things. But have we been asking God what he wants for our life, for our family? See, Jesus was always off by himself praying. He was always in touch with the Father. He even said, I only do what what I see the Father doing. He taught us about this really close relationship that he had between the Father. And he says, that's what I have saved you for. When you come to the cross, I've separated you from your old life. And I've wrapped you in my imputed righteousness so that you can stand before me. So that I could grow you into my likeness. I'll tell you the truth. I don't want to base my life, my ministry, my kids, or any of that stuff around the culture around us. I want to base it off Jesus. I want to base it off his kingdom. As Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what I want. So what do we do? So what do we do when our mind knows exactly what to do, but our actions don't follow suit? When our lives don't preach the gospel and we don't share it with our mouths, what do we do? We begin to listen to our old life, our old labels, our old sins that have been removed from us. Jesus says, I I will take these as far as the east is from the west. I will remove them. But then there are days where we will rifle through the baggage and we'll take, you can never remove the righteousness of God, but we, we begin to move it off of us, even though it's still around us, and we'll, we'll just set it right there. We'll just put it right there. Still got it, still around my feet, still on me, still have the righteousness of Christ. And I start thinking about, about these old things. I start thinking about them. And get this picture. See, we get the righteousness of Christ. If you're in Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ wrapped around you. This is the scariest thing. You have the righteousness of Christ wrapped around you. Stay. (laughs) And because things are busy and because we can get caught up in a culture, we begin to grab these things this old life, and what do we do? We put them on the righteousness of Christ. We put them right back on us. The things that he says, I have removed from you, they're not there. We begin to pick up and put on. For Manny, she's going back to her old ways. 
She has the, the righteousness of Christ. She's been set free to grow with God. But she begins to put these things back on. Righteousness of Christ is still there. Put them back on over top. We begin to clothe our, clothe our righteousness in the sins that have been removed from us, or we pick up new sins. Picture this. We've been set free and clothed in his righteousness. We become sons and daughters of the real, true, living king. He gives us the righteousness to grow. And sometimes we do this. This becomes the Christian life. We begin to do the opposite of what Paul says in Romans 12 about not being conformed to the pattern of this world. And slowly, we begin to do that very thing. He says, renew our minds, and our minds are not being renewed. We're still downloading porn. We're still looking at things. We're still prideful. We're still hurting. Things are still going on, but we have the imputed righteousness of Christ wrapped around us. But these things are still there, and you feel broken, and you feel hopeless, and you feel like your prayers are not being answered. We've taken the king of kings and the Lord of our life and we asked him to be our assistant. See, Tim Keller shares from a story from his Sunday school experience as a child. He says, the teacher said, let's assume that the distance between the earth and the sun is 92 miles, million miles, 92 million miles, and it was reduced to the thickness of this sheet of paper. Look at that. That's not very big. Then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. That's a lot of paper. Then Keller's teacher added, the galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe, yet Jesus holds the universe together by, his word, by the word of his power. Finally, the teacher asked her students, now is that the kind of person you asked into your life to be your assistant. Well, some of us find ourselves there, that Jesus is the assistant to us. We tell Jesus what to do and when to do it. That's a scary thing. And what do we do? So what do we do when we're at the crossroads? What do we do when this is the reality? This is true. We see this. Begin to pick these things up. Put them back on us. What do we do when we, when we know and understand the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed onto our lives so that we may grow in his likeness and travel on the, the path of progressive sanctification? But we've, we've backed off of that. And we're not growing, but we have great attendance and you're feeling broken. It's a hard thing to go through. See, the great exchange of God and the great offense and somewhere you find yourself on one side or the other in the middle or trying and praying and doing this and doing that but nothing's working and you feel so hard. It feels so hard. What do you do? I had this teacher when I was in grade three. I was really sick as a kid. Um, I missed a lot of school. I had uh, problems like 
allergies and, and, and smoke. My parents smoked and it would make me sick all the time. So I always had throat infections and different things. And I remember I didn't really go to school a lot. I remember in grade three, I, rem- I was different from every, all the other kids because I couldn't read that well. Reading, I didn't like reading. And you ever have one of those teachers, maybe it's in the school system or maybe it's in your Sunday school, maybe it's here at the church, maybe it's just someone that just kind of put their arm around you and knew that you needed a little help. I felt like that, sometimes you see that limp dog and they're like, everybody's like, oh, look at the dog, you gotta help him. I felt like that as a child in grade three and I had this one teacher that came up to me and she, she taught me about these books. They were called Choose Your Own Adventure. Do you know what I'm talking about? Choose Your Own Adventure books? These books where you would, uh, you would read and then at the end of like one section, you would look at the bottom and it would say, turn to page 84 for this adventure or turn to page 80, 81 or go to page six. And oh, I love these books. While the kids were out playing dodgeball, I, I remember just, just reading these books and I get to choose the adventure. Where am I gonna take this guy today? I was in charge. And I, I would read and I'd be all excited and I, oh, what are the choices here? Oh, where are we gonna take this guy? I remember I would choose this adventure and I would go on it and halfway through I would remember, I, I would look and I'd be like, oh, this is not gonna end well. <laughs> I don't wanna read this anymore. <laughs> This is not a good, good, I didn't make a good choice. So what I would do is because I was in, in control, I, I would go back, I would go back, I would trace my way back through and I would find the page where you could begin the journey, begin the, the, the adventure. So I would just go back and I would begin reading a new adventure. See, Jesus does that for us. He is the great hope. See, when we find ourselves wrapped in his righteousness because we've come to know him in a personal way, but life gets hard and we begin to look at the world, things get added into our life and eventually we become some like what this is. We know that many people are in this area. The great hope comes. See, when we realize the truth and then match the truth to our lives and we find we're going the wrong way or that it's not gonna end well for us if we continue to live in these areas, the great hope arrives. Because Jesus loved us so much. We read in the scriptures, he loved us because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave him. We get the opportunity, and I said it at the first, to repent and believe in faith. And Jesus, once again, he removes these transgressions. And we can start the process again. We find in 1 John 2, 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. See, there's an expectation there that when when the imputed righteousness of Christ falls in your life, you come into a relationship, you're gonna leave that behind. But I love this verse. There's hope in this verse. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, here's the blessed hope. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Praise the Lord. He is the great hope, the forgiving one. And today, we can know where we stand. That's what I would tell Sean. Sean, you're getting all worked up. We know all you need to do Stop and go back to Jesus. Stop it, man. I couldn't slap him in the face to wake him out of it because he was just too big. I would have to get him to bend down and that would be weird. But I would just stop 
We know where we can stand because of his grace. In Titus 2, 11, 14, I love this verse. It says, for the what? For the what? For the grace of God has appeared. And what does it do? It offers salvation to all people. This grace, it teaches us. It takes us on a journey. This is the progressive sanctification part. Into the likeness of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. No, we're not going to add this stuff into our lives. It teaches us to say no to worldly passions. And it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. When? Right now, in this present age. Not later when you get your life together. Not down the road. Right now. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great Savior, God and Savior who? Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for him a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You know, this is the thing that we're, we're struggling with, that there are so many people inside the church that are eager to do what is good. They don't want their lives to be like this. They're tired of it. They want Jesus, and they want the full truth. They want to live it. They want to preach it. They want to share it, instruct it, teach it. They don't want to walk around feeling the way they are anymore. We begin the process. We're in the process of growing. We're in the process of, the process of transforming. We're in the process of learning. And in this process, there are so many things fighting for our hearts. There are so many things fighting for your attention. But in this process, we are not alone. We have the grace of God that teaches us to know and recognize those things that suck the joy and life out of us. It teaches us to be on guard and to be ready. That's what this grace does. To say no to those things or even those people that will lead us away from God. To say no to cultural norms and yes to victory in Christ. Yes, you are stronger. You are stronger, God, than the things I'm going through. I know it's a song that we're singing, but I want to believe it in my heart that you are stronger. Sin is broken. It is finished. It is finished because you have come. He is the great hope. The Spirit of God, for some, has been pressed down. It's been pushed out of the way and ignored for a long time. Some of you even here, even this morning, May feel the spirit tugging at you. May even say, hey, I feel like this. I know and love Jesus. There's a difference between my head and my heart. There's a lot of stuff in the way. And I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. See, this is not about the person to the left, to the right, about the church as a whole, or a, a, a special emotional moment. Some, sometimes we get so wrapped up in this emotional moment. It's about you and Jesus. It's about me and Jesus. It's about us together growing in Jesus. It's always been that way. So this morning as we, we sing our last song, Pastor, Pastor Steve I looked at the order this morning, and it's, I lay me down, lay me down. I am not my own. I belong to you, O oh Lord. 
I belong to you, O Lord. And I want to lay it down. I want to lay the things that have been put, in on, put on your imputed righteousness. I want to lay those things down. We had some people come this morning, even after, talk to us. I want to lay these things down. Pastor Steve's going to lead us in that song after I pray. But after the first verse, we'll sing the first verse together. If you feel in your heart that you want to come down to the front, Pastor Rick and I will be down here. Come. Don't worry about what other people think. They'll move. They'll move out of the way. You come down. You get right with the Lord today. Don't walk out of here carrying this stuff because that's not what the Lord wants. He wants all of you all the time growing in his likeness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We just thank you that you've been here so powerfully this morning and and speaking to us and, and sharing that you have a plan for our lives, that you came and that you died so that we could live in your likeness and grow into your likeness. And Father, for many here today, that's what they want. They want the great hope. I want the great hope, Lord. I want you. I'm not gonna settle for the things around me. I'm gonna only settle for the king. I'm tired of making you my assistant. I want you to be the Lord of my life. So this morning, as we lay it down, we believe in faith that you will come. You will remove these things, and we begin again and grow with you. We love you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. One of the greatest ministries I get to be a part of uh, here at, in, in Calvary in Oshawa is the Chinese Fellowship. And there's some students up there that taught me uh, not too long ago this little, this little experiment or this little truth. They said bamboo seeds, uh, bamboo seeds can take three years to sprout above ground, but after can grow three feet in 24 hours. There's hope. There's hope for us because of Jesus Christ. Before I close in prayer, I just want to show you something. Um, just a quick PowerPoint or a little slideshow. These are some people that I know from the church. I get to talk to a lot of people in the 9 a.m. service, and some of the people have told me, I know, and I know how to lead someone to Jesus. I know the words to say and the prayers to pray, but I have no clue how to practically live for God each day. But I want to know, and I want to serve him. That's hope. It's cold outside and the air causes my windows to fog up and I thought about calling in and saying I can't serve. But I pulled the car over three times and I made it here. (laughs) There's hope, praise the Lord. She didn't give up. My family thinks I'm crazy for loving Jesus and I'm trying. I'm trying to live a life that honors him. Please pray they see Jesus in me. They have hope, small group participant. 9 a.m. mom, this is my favorite. This is my favorite one. Someone told me this last week. I will not give up hope for my kids. Amen. They need Jesus, and I'm going to share his love with them as they grow. There are people in our midst here today. They're saying no and yes to Jesus because he is the great hope. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the lives that are here. We thank you for everything that you have brought us through, even tonight as we celebrate last year and what you have been doing in Calvary Baptist Church. God, I just... I just thank you for your grace and your love and for the people here. I thank you for this congregation as they are seeking after you in spirit and in truth. May we live lives in, in abandonment to ourselves but fully into you and what your will is. 
We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Have a blessed day.